This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello everyone and welcome to this special contribution as part of the Good For Hair podcast series hosted by Anatomy of a Scream. My name is Rebecca McCallum and I am assistant editor at Ghouls Magazine, where I also co-host our Ghouls Gang podcast, which explores our monthly themes. I'm a writer of horror think pieces and have bylines at Dread Central, Grim Journal and Brew Morgue. And I'm also author of Mums and Sons, a zine that looks at familial relationships in horror. And today I have a very special podcasting partner with me. Hi Rebecca, this is Iona, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, I've got my chai latte, so I'm all set up. All set and ready. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm I'm Iona, I also contribute to Ghouls Magazine. Um, when I'm not doing that on the side, I also work in unscripted TV in development. Um, but my real passion is horror, so glad to be joining you today. <laughs> And today we're going to be discussing 2020's The Hunt. And just for a little refresh for anyone who hasn't seen it for a while or hasn't managed to catch this yet, um, here's a bit of a synopsis. So, The Hunt then. Twelve strangers wake in a woods not knowing where they are or how they got there. They don't know that they've been chosen for The Hunt a twisted pastime which involves a group of elites convening to hunt their fellow humans for sport. The hunted dwindle in numbers as they are picked off one by one, but amongst them is a woman named Crystal who proves herself a force to be reckoned with. Okay, hopefully I've done a decent job there. Um, Oh, I think so, yeah. (laughs) I think think that's pretty spot on for the hunt. (laughs) Okay, then let's let's get into it. So, Iona, you picked this film. So tell me, you know, under the banner of Good For Her, specifically, like, what made you pick this film? And can you tell me a bit about, like, your initial experiences with it and what your sort of, you know, your first responses are? Yeah, so I picked this film because it's quite a divisive one, I think, with horror audiences. Mm. And I think since, uh, I mean, basically the slight background for this is the release of it was delayed slightly. Um, There was a tweet that was released by Trump complaining about it um, initially, which I think didn't help towards the delay of the film um, because it's very kind of um, pushing against certain aspects of American life. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think in terms of the good for her, Um, The lead character, Crystal, is very, very important to this conversation because she is kind of the faceless middle America who has been given a face and been given given an identity within this film. Um, And I think her character um, within The Hunt really kind of establishes that there is the really extreme liberal, there is the really extreme conservative, and then there is Crystal. And her dealing with her stuff let's say (laughs) within this film which I'm sure we're going to get into um (laughs) is is definitely a relatable character when it comes to uh a good for her subject 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, I watched this. Um, I hadn't seen this, and then you suggested it, and I want to. I wanted to watch it for a while, so I thought there's my perfect excuse. So I was really intrigued to to look at it from the sort of class and political perspectives. And after watching it, I thought, oh, like there's a nucleus of a good idea here, but I'm not sure if it's saying anything or if it if it knows what it's saying. Yeah. Or, or even if it like stands in confidence of what it's saying. I think that's a big thing. It's like it's not really committing to anything concrete. You know, yeah. I, like as you've said, it it seeks to represent both the liberal elite and then the sort of the the, the, the conservative Trump voters who really are presented as a working class Trump votership. Um so I think for me, the, the, the overall message is a bit foggy, but then, do you know, I thought I went a step deeper and I thought, yeah, in one respect, it's politics are incredibly all over the place. But <laughs> living in this current political landscape also feels yes. <laughs> it's incredibly hard to unravel, doesn't it? Oh, so, yes. The, the fog, the fog of our current <laughs> political environment is... It's basically everyone standing in an empty space and going, does anyone know what's going on? No, no, just, no. I'm, I'm clueless too, so. <laughs> We're all clueless together. Exactly. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting that potentially it's reflecting like specifically like a post-internet world, you know. Um, I feel like it's critique of people putting mistruths and conspiracy theories out there is really interesting you know but I don't necessarily think the hunters are sitting above people in that respect because like as we'll get into they're not exactly too concerned with the truth either no (laughs) I think I think in in kind of the broad perspective every person in this film is a terrible person there is (laughs) there is not a single person in this film include to be fair including Crystal who is completely blameless. Everyone in this film has some sort of fault, some sort of blame. Like, and I think that really does kind of relate to the political environment, as we were saying, because everyone is just in this group together, but don't seem to realise they are because they're like, you are this side or you are this side. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of very much like, it's a very like defined, like, categorization isn't it oh definitely yeah and just echoing what you said before about Trump's sort of involvement you know it's that that idea again around this film of people making or forming opinions and putting them out there before they've actually seen the finished object yeah which is oh, a, pet, a pet hater right <laughs> it's like it's like before you before you vocalize your opinion out there into the environment maybe read up first maybe kind of get all your facts straight before like knee-jerk reacting to some sort of fake news thing that's been on the internet that hasn't been proven to be true. (laughs) Yeah, but then doesn't like all that sort of seems to interact with the film itself and the content of the film. Yeah. The more I think about the discourse around it, the more I feel like it reflects the, you know, the content and the things that are explored in the film. Oh, definitely. But it's like, I feel like maybe this is more a middle-class perspective on how working-class people think, feel, and act, mm-hmm. ultimately. Um, the director, interestingly, so Craig Savelle, so he said that 
he didn't he didn't put this film together with the intention of promoting controversy and which is very I don't know if I believe that shall we say yeah I mean if you look at the subject matter of the film and you look at the kind of narrative stance that he takes I I feel like you can't do anything but cause controversy with that because if if you are actively looking like you are siding with one uh kind of political side then you're bound to get like backlash from the other but when you are basically talking like negatively against both sides <laughs> all you're going to do is get negativity from both sides like it, you're bound to there's, there's there's no other way that you can release a film like this yeah i think it, originally it was meant to be called like red state versus blue state which just invites that kind of like oh, pick, yeah. pick a camp you know yeah it's like you're with us or you're not with us and that's it (laughs) (laughs) so um in terms of good for hair so in terms of breaking down what we mean by good for hair because it's such a a trend and thing in horror and you know coming to do this podcast is really interesting for me because it forced me to actually really think about that um, so, you know, what are your thoughts on how we define good for her or what it means? So I think good for her can be pushed across a quite a broad spectrum in horror because I, from, from my personal opinion, I think good for her can be held by any lead female character. So it could be good for her as the triumph of the woman. It could be good for her as getting revenge or comeuppance for something that's happened to them. It could be, for example, um, like in rape revenge films, very often the main subject of it is a woman being, well, raped or being hurt or harmed in some way and her getting that revenge back against people that have done her wrong. But in this context, I think it's very much the assumption of, I'm I'm going to use this as a kind of quote from the film. So this is not the type of language that I would like to use, but the, the dumb redneck woman, um, like she is assumed to be the gun nut. She's assumed to be not very smart because she appears to be working class. Um, and it's kind of her going against these tropes and being like, no, do you know what? This is not me. This is not my stereotype. Like I am going to triumph above this. I'm going to triumph above the situation that I, that I've been forced into. Um, so yeah, I think that's I think that's kind of where the good for her lies within the hunt as well. Yeah, I love how you've not only just <clears throat> defined good for her, but you've contextualized it. You know, I don't I don't have too much to add to that except that I think it's interesting. It's like the top of the podcast, you were saying that you know everyone's got some degree of culpability and blame, and everyone does bad things. It's just like to what degree and with what intention and in response to what. Um, and I think it's interesting that in these good for her films, women are often drawn towards doing questionable things, things that would otherwise be questionable, but within the context of these situations, like you say, it's triumphant and it's like it's cathartic, right? Yeah, it's a it's a you do it because you have to survive this situation. But actually, yeah. when someone is watching that. They go, no, 100%, she was completely in the right for doing that, whatever the action is, no matter how kind of traumatic or dramatic that action is or what it would be in real life. I mean, if 99.9% of this film happened in the real world, 
(laughs) I think there would be, well, there'd be a lot of dead people, but there'd also be a lot of people in jail (laughs) for what they do. (laughs) The jails would be full. Mm -hmm. And Orwell would have been right. (laughs) Yes, Orwell would have definitely been right. (laughs) (laughs) He'd be like, I knew it all along, I said it. Yeah. Um, I also feel like just wanted to briefly touch on before we get really get into the the nuts and bolts of the film how who is telling these good for her stories is something that I was thinking about you know who's writing them who's directing them what voice is that and you know not without exception but it, it seems to predominantly be a white male voice which is something that I just think needs to be looked at with a critical eye I'm not saying it's something that I'm not saying that you know white men should be excluded from this but what I am saying is that it needs you know to come from a place of authenticity I think it's important that we extend the opportunity of the people who tell these stories oh yeah no I completely agree with you there I think I always find it very interesting when I watch a film like this and I look up the director and find out that they are a white cisgender male uh very heteronormative very you know from from that kind of background and I'm like okay so you have no life experience of any of this kind of stuff happening to you um because you have not been in any of the circles that kind of correspond to the lead protagonist so I always find it very yeah I find it definitely worthy of a discussion when films like this crop up because I'm like okay so you're only going by your own assumptions um Mm. Mm -hmm. which which again kind of brings back to the assumptions in the film as well it's it's, everything is assumed everything is like (laughs) you are taking what could be a stereotype of this person and going do you know what I'm gonna write a character about this it's oh the, the worst thing for me is when you're reading scripts or when you're looking at like it it, it happens a lot more in in kind of literary context for me but when a male writer describes a woman and they are like walking down the stairs boobily (laughs) like (laughs) always about like their physical form or like yeah not not like what they're thinking and feeling it's just objectification yes and it's it's like there's there's a there's a, a thread that I've seen before that was like um like if if male if male writers described how they really felt and it was like literally everything was like um she like stretched her body towards the sun her breasts perked and I was just like oh for god's sake but then actually in in reality in a lot of these kind of films and stuff you see that a lot as well so that's a very interesting correlation there it's like you see it in text but then we were also seeing it cinematically as well represented Yeah, and that just on that note of assumptions, like that I read a quote from the director saying this is a film about making assumptions about things you don't know anything about. Yeah. So that's very interesting within the context of coming to the good for hair with a sense of experience. Mm-hmm. And then just to add to that, just one final layer, that not only is do I feel it's the people telling these stories, but the characters who are at the centre of them are often also white and you know straight and it's like I think we're only getting we're only getting certain types of female oppression represented yeah it's it's a very kind of tunnel vision of female oppression for sure yeah 
So, so let's get into it then. So um, we've got the setup and the introduction to Crystal, which is really subversive and interesting. So we've got what is essentially um, a group of, of people that have just been dumped in this woods and with a giant box um, uh, filled with, with ammunition. Uh, oh, and, and a pig, don't and, forget the pig. Oh yeah, and a pig. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Orwell. Yeah. Um, just talk us through then, like this this opening and, you know, what what we've discussed about sort of off, off podcast about the misdirect of the central character or what we might call the final girl, I guess. Yeah, I think... It, I, I found the beginning of this film really interesting because when I first watched it for the first time, I didn't really know anything about it. I kind of went into it knowing the controversy and that was literally it. And in the opening scene, Emma Roberts is portrayed as like the lead character. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, they basically do a screen. Like they do what Scream did with Drew Barrymore. They go, oh, by the way, here's, here's your girl, like focus on her. Um, to the point that also in the credits, they oh, they don't give her a name. They give um, Emma Roberts's character the name Yoga Pants. Yeah. <laughs> like, she, the girl doesn't even have a name. Um, and yeah, so so you kind of get misdirected as to her being the main character. And then within, I think it was within the first 10 minutes or so, she dies. <laughs> and you're like, okay, this isn't my, uh, my lead character, then that's fine, even though she's the most famous, well... By, by credits wise, you you think she's the most famous person in this film and then she's gone and you're like, bye-bye, okay, see you later, <laughs> Emma Roberts. Um, I also really like the way that, this sounds horrible, the way that she dies is really Oh, it's incredible. Because it's like when the, like this bullet goes past her and she goes, oh, that nearly got me. And then it's just like, boom, and she's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very Final Destination. It is, which, which obviously I am all there it's for. It's your jam. Yeah. Final Destination is my jam. It's like all-time favourite film series. Um, but yeah, but then also during that opening scene, you do see Crystal, but she's not focused on as a main character. You just see her at the river. She's in full survival mode. She isn't talking to anyone. She's not kind of getting anyone else involved in her situation. And she uses what I think is like a needle and um, a leaf on the river and like uses um, static electricity from rubbing the needle on her hair to find North, which mm-hmm. is like a really clever survival technique. Yeah. Like, I mean, if, if I was in a woods and I'd just woken up from being drugged and had a horse gag thing in my mouth, I wouldn't know to do that. I'd just be, I'd probably just lie on the floor and be like, well, this is me. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah. yeah. She, she really, she really does um, kind of defy expectations, I guess, with that. Um, and then she's gone and you think, oh, well, that's her off. Um, and then you only come back to her once you followed the rest of the party and the rest of them kind of dying off one by one. You're like, is that going to be my final girl? Is that going to be my final girl? <laughs> yeah. And then and like three quarters of them are gone by maybe 15 minutes into the film. And you're like, oh. So who, who are we going to follow? <laughs> and then, yeah, cut back to Crystal, and there she is. She is our presumed final girl, because she's the main focus for the rest of the film. Yeah, I really feel that that just really brief glimpse that we get of her by the lake is it sets her up so beautifully as, like, a survivalist, as someone who's independent. Yeah. Someone who doesn't... I'm not saying this is a good thing in life, but in this film it's a good thing. Someone who doesn't trust anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know someone resourceful Mm -hmm. and you know 
she looks very determined she's very self-sufficient mm-hmm. she's not crying out for help or depending on other people she's like looking to herself yeah she is she's bare grills it's like <laughs> when when I when I was when I was re-watching this for, for our discussion um the fact that she just gets into it and is like right survival mode let's go she I'm not I mean I'm not saying she's on the same level because this hero is levels above everyone but she made me think of Ripley from Alien yeah because it's it's the same thing it's like it's like no one no one is looking at her in terms of her gender no one is looking at her in terms of being the helpless like oh I'm gonna die kind of stereotype that you get a lot in these kind of horror films yeah she just goes into it and she's like right let's get stuff done like I need to survive this what what's next let's go yeah which which situation is that I'm in and that's that's like you know that's my primary concern exactly yeah so um once we've gone we've seen crystal and the group has sort of diminished shall we say <laughs> uh she arrives at a, a mom and pop store and you know we get to see a bit more of her shall we say survival skills mm-hmm. in this scene you know even before everything kicks off in this scene you know immediately unlike the group that's been in before her she's very watchful smart aware yeah. you know and it makes me think of something we talk about shortly but she crystal tells one of her other like fellow hunted <laughs> that's i think i think the hunted is, is a pretty the good hunted. name for them yeah the hunted. yeah uh, a story about a, a jackrabbit and I really feel like Crystal herself in this film is representative of a lot of like, rabbit-like qualities and that sense of like awareness and, and quickness and agility is really like part of her character yeah. I think you know she doesn't hesitate to act and she's acting alone as well so mm-hmm. um so she does away with the undercover mum and pop <laughs> who by the way, are two of my favorite characters in this film because they're like one to one. Once they once they've killed off the first group that go into their store, and they're cleaning up and they're talking about what is politically correct to be saying and all that kind of stuff. Like that conversation, I've heard so many times in real life where people yeah. are like, "Where did you get that information, though? Have you considered that this is not okay anymore?" And like trying to like keep up with the times of like what is politically correct to say. And I just think it's so funny coming from an older couple like an older generation who stereotypically from kind of my experience anyway, that generation hasn't tended to be as PC, I think. Like the, yeah, the, the they're older, not as vocal with the... No, yeah. they're not as vocal with their kind of, let's be careful what we say now, even though also the, the contrast to them just straight up murdering a bunch of, bunch of people before they have that <laughs> conversation. <laughs> it's just, that's, that's the kind of stuff I really enjoy in this film. That's, that's the bit that kept me watching. <laughs> so yeah so she she dispatches them alone when like previously they've taken the, the mom and pop have actually taken down a whole group of people yeah so already we're like crystal is something else it's like she's got incredible like survival skills mm-hmm. and she's just willing to do whatever it takes and we're really rooting for her because we know the the immediacy and the urgency of a situation and seeing a triumph like this gives you like an early like adrenaline boost doesn't it of like come on yeah. crystal you're like okay <laughs> here we go we sided with the right person here like she is yeah. on it 
yeah yeah it's like a reward but it feels like a reward for the side with the right person so she sheds her orange jacket which I think is interesting and you know maybe it's like this sort of birth moment of shedding one kind of identity and becoming something else yeah um, and then so she goes outside and she again she just proves how utterly smart she is she rips off the number plates on the car to reveal that they're not where they've been told they are mm-hmm. she's checking the vehicle over she, you know she's prepared to basically question everything which yeah. as someone who watches horror I am constantly questioning everything and in life just basically I question everything oh yeah so, I think I think being avid consumers of horror adds an extra level of paranoia to your real life so like especially especially as women like very often I find like if I'm like walking on my own regardless of what time of day it is I'm always like okay here are my escape routes this is where I go this is where I walk but like it'll be like the middle of the day and I'm like well a murderer is not going to come and murder me right now but because I've seen it in horror films you never know (laughs) yeah you're on guard yeah always always alert always on guard (laughs) so she meets Gary a man named Gary um <laughs> who has shot a drone down which has revealed their location to the hunters so not oh, damn it gary <laughs> crystal would never have shot the drone no no <laughs> also i love i love that he's played by um ethan Souple, who's uh, in my name is earl like, oh yeah the robot yeah, tv um... show right there he's like <laughs> oh but i love him because he always seems to play the like slightly bumbly kind of idiot character <laughs> and I'm like I just kept thinking oh he's, he's the same guy as he was in my name as well <laughs> <laughs> um, so he immediately recognizes her intelligence her toughness and you know unlike what we see in in many other films where the males are leading here Crystal is very much that assumes the leader role, doesn't she? Oh, yeah. He's following her. She is a natural leader. Yeah. Um, and so they they reach a train track, and it's Crystal's idea to board the train um as it's moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I noticed that as they even once they're on the train, as they're moving through the carriages, he sort of retreats behind her. She's in front. It's like she's 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 the the one like that's gonna take any flack and putting herself out there. Yeah, and he's really like you know using her as a protective shield. Oh, he is he is definitely shielding behind her. But like just just before they before they get onto the train, I think one of my favorite things is she she kind of almost asserts her dominance in front of him by literally dropping her trousers and going for a wee. And like, he just kind of goes, oh, like turns around and then like, he says something. (laughs) And she literally (laughs) is like mid pee and just goes, shut the F up, Gary. And that's it. (laughs) Like that is like, the dominance has been asserted. She is in charge. He will do as she says. And that's that. Like, I think from then on, no matter how much he talks, like no matter how much he wants to ramble about, oh, this theory, that theory, he is going to follow her lead because she has got her stuff together in this situation she knows what she's doing and he he has recognized that just from the pure like he he's he's not going to be able to give her any flack like she is just going to not take it yeah and and it's it again it speaks I guess that moment of just like just representing woman as just a human it's like well, I have to pay it. So that's what I'm going to do. And yeah. not a big deal is going to be made of it. And it's not going to be like male gazy or it's just, 
I need to pee and then we're off we're yeah. hopping on a train <laughs> yeah and then um and then yeah when they when they come across the uh group of refugees in the in the train as well I, I found that really interesting because Crystal doesn't even though she's like asserting her dominance and being very like brash and forward with Gary um as soon as they come across the refugees and he starts mouthing off about conspiracy theories and saying that they're like performers and actors yeah, like crisis and things. actors yeah, yeah. Um, she instantly kind of takes a step back and backs down a little bit and is like, yeah. let's assist, assess the situation first. And she's like, Gary, they have a baby. Like, I don't think these crisis, act- like, I don't think crisis actors carry babies with them kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I, I think her having that awareness of when it's time to step up and be like, no, yeah. I'm taking charge, but then knowing when it's the time to take a step back as well and just reassess before she makes her decision kind of, goes against the stereotype of a woman in horror where usually they're like I'm just gonna follow whatever happens I'm gonna be clueless I'm just gonna run in the wrong direction and all that kind of stuff she is having that breath moment she is going okay let's work out what our next move is yeah she's she's in control of her her own destiny it's like every step and it's like you say she knows when to take that step back which in this situation just makes me want to her even more yeah I think it's also really interesting because as the characters are kind of coming through like with Crystal like the other the other characters who are primarily men who are primarily mouthing off all the time um they keep talking about Manigate and the whole theory of how they were all brought in here what the situation is Crystal never says a word about it no and it's like she she is almost she's almost thinking I don't know enough information about this I'm not going to give my opinion because I need I need more facts like I think I think that's kind of what I took away from her um in this whole situation because she like I said she she just doesn't vocalize unless she knows which I think yeah. is a really good kind of way to to be in this situation to be honest <laughs> yeah yeah um and then it's her idea isn't it to to chuck the guns when the authorities turn up like yeah. you say it's like she you know she knows how to make the correct judgment calls at the correct times yeah but having said that they do end up in a, a, a refugee camp and uh, there she really holds her own though it's like she's interrogated by two men who are obviously clearly doing their best to make her feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. but she it, it basically it's it's down to crystal that they she manages to navigate them potentially getting help or or we think she does and um we then meet Don who oh Don Don. (laughs) oh Don (laughs) oh I I have so much dislike for Don (laughs) Don is like wrapped up in this facade of like gentility and like I'm not quite as sharp as I seem but underneath that there is a lot of danger in Don isn't there yeah and there is a lot of um I I, like I I like to call it soft sexism you know when you know when people are constantly calling you like sweetie and darling and things like that it really grates me when people do that to me never mind like film characters and the fact that he just keeps calling Crystal sweetie I'm like she is not your sweetie. Look <laughs> at her. She is holding her own. She's not some defenseless woman that you have to be like, oh, darling. Oh, sweetie. No. <laughs> like, shut up, Don. <laughs> I just, oh, it really grates on me. 
<laughs> yeah there's like there's, for me there's a I don't know about you but there's a real recognizability in that as well yeah you know people in in my workplace people you know people I've encountered and it's like I've met a lot of Dan's is what I'm saying oh yeah I <laughs> uh, me too I have I have met many a Don and yeah <laughs> oh it's 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 fun it's a fun time <laughs> so um the, well, the embassy seemed to arrive at the camp to rescue Crystal and Don. And although, although in one respect, I'm like exhaling a little bit because I can see that Crystal is still, you know, she's really on like mistrustful grounds with this. Mm-hmm. It puts my heckles up as well. And I'm like, yeah, something's not right here. Yeah. Uh, you know, that policy of mistrust that she operates is like just a through line like across this film and you know she's never it's never disproven so it's that instinct that she has you know so what are your thoughts about what happens in the car when they're seemingly escaping with the the embassy representative I, so so when when I first watched this, I was like, great, they're safe, don't worry about it. I kind of yeah. got lulled into a false sense of security. And then, like you said, Crystal is still on edge. She's still like, oh, and like is questioning everything a little bit, but like kind of trying to do it quite subtly. And then when she just, she makes like this like, oh, kind of noise, holds onto the like hand hold in front of the car, turns around and just boots that man. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay crystal still in survival mode okay like we need to be in survival mode too we need to know what what the point of this is um and i think i think the the mistrust of others is really kind of portrayed by um a quote from crystal where she says uh they're either smart pretending to be idiots or idiots pretending to be Mm. smart and that's (laughs) why she's not trusting anyone because she's almost thinking at a certain level of like okay this person seems like a dumbass so are they pretending to be a dumbass or are they putting that on because they don't want me to see what they're plotting behind? And then there's the people that talk like they know everything, but are yeah. they just being used as pawns in this situation? And do you have to dispatch of them to kind of get through to the next section and to get through to your survival, I guess? Yeah. And I like how I like how all these instincts are proven to be right. I think that's very important, in, mm-hmm. especially in the context of Good For Her, because she's never portrayed as hysterical or no. it's like, no, like these these instincts were correct. It's yeah. Like you were correct to do all these things. And I just think that's so important. Yeah. I think very often you you see in a lot of other horror films women trusting their instincts very often leads to quite negative consequences yeah. of like like a girl hears a noise so her instinct is to walk towards it in reality that's not what happens you run the f away like <laughs> you go like if i if i hear a bump in the night i'm like nope and i'm out like that's it <laughs> but, but with crystal like her intuition and her kind of responses to everything that happens are correct like you said she she knows when she's in danger she knows when to react and if anything I think we should all be taking a leaf out of Crystal's book a little bit in real life of going by your actual instincts because this is a lot more realistic than say the running into a into a dark room or yeah. going towards the sounds that you really shouldn't be going towards. Like I think, I mean, minus the fact that she's obviously 
like trained <laughs> to, to kill <laughs> and things. Um, yeah, I think I think Crystal's quite a a good example of a person you should really trust by their intuition. Yeah, and so um, Crystal sort of doubts about the embassy representative are are found to be correct because the body of Gary is in the trunk of the car. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's going dear. back to, to my name as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so Crystal then embark. Crystal's next focus and mission is to get to this bunker and to take down the as many elites as she can. Yeah. Um, so but before she gets to the bunker, her and Don have a, a sort of little tiff over who has the keys to the car. And I love how she is steadfast in her insistence that no, I'm gonna drive. Mm-hmm. Because it's like not only is she taking control of the situation, but I guess sort of metaphorically, she's in the driving seat and it's like the, the control is mine. I'm I'm not gonna give over trust or put myself at risk with anybody um especially you Don (laughs) yeah it's like no no Don you are not going to be responsible for me also he clicks at her and that's another thing that really makes me hate Don he's like hey and then he's like and like clicks I mean I don't even know if they'll be able to hear that in in the podcast but I just clicked um but yeah like it's it's like she he like probably like tries to click in her face and I'm like no 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 Don you you shut up you take the back seat you just let her deal with this situation don't be giving that click (laughs) Yeah, it's like I'm not going to make myself vulnerable. No, which I I really uh, applaud. Oh, so yeah. she tells him the story of the jackrabbit and the box turtle, which for me felt I don't know about you, but do you know the story of the tortoise and the hare? Yes, yeah. This I was like, oh, this is the tortoise and the hare, and then it got really violent. <laughs> and I was yeah, like, that's not the story I was told. As well I think ago. yeah, I think our version of the tortoise and the hare <laughs> doesn't end with the jackrabbit horribly murdering the entire of the tortoise's family and then eating their dinner. <laughs> like it's it's the fact that she made the point that he sat down and ate every single bit of their dinner afterwards. I'm like, oh, rubbing salt into that wound. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so after that, she heads to the bunker where she proceeds to take down pretty much everybody. You know, this is an amazing scene. You know, she, she does away with all of them. They've underestimated her. You know, as I said, she's a force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. She has an interesting, really brief interaction with another woman where she asks, do you think you should be given a pass because of your gender? And yeah. I wondered what you thought about that. I so so this this woman Liberty when she's on the floor she's she is also the one that's been like killing people with bows and arrows up to this point which I'm like all right Katniss Everdeen like how'd you do um yeah I think I think it's a really kind of poignant moment because the whole reason that comes up is because Don's like no no no, she's a woman like you, you can't kill her and then Crystal turns around, asks Liberty, and Liberty is like, well, no, but it's almost like she kind of goes, well, no, but, and she's dead. That's it. Like, <laughs> bye, bye, Liberty, off you go. But yeah, I think, I think it's a fair point to make. Like, she is in the wrong in this situation, and therefore it shouldn't matter what gender she is. She's been trying to murder a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, but it also makes me question about the moralities of the rest of the film, because this is the uh, this is apart from Emma Roberts at the beginning and um, another woman who was murdered in the mom and pop shop. These are like 
the oh and the woman who also got spikes through her <laughs> who was brilliant at the beginning um oh yeah when when she's like i need you to lift me up it's like honey you're dead <laughs> look at you and then she gets exploded and you're like uh, no you're you're definitely dead now just just you need to die i'm sorry <laughs> just let it like, go just, just, just shh. um but yeah so liberty is like one of the first like other women that you see who is in this situation but is taking control um and isn't letting the men kind of push her around or anything um but because of the standpoint that she's at because she's in the elitist group, I guess, of the people who are doing the hunting, it's almost like, okay, well, regardless of your gender, you have done wrong. You need to have the consequences of that, which Crystal is completely like black and white about. She is like, no, like you've done wrong. Do you think that you should die? And she basically sentences herself to death by being like, my gender shouldn't affect it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking as you were talking and that sort of retort of like, no, but feels yeah. very like it's it puts me in like places of like people online like no no but or like just people that you think that they're listening to your opinion or but they really they're not you know no they're they're, <laughs> they're literally waiting for you to stop talking so that they can go but here's all the reasons why you're wrong it's like that's i it. yeah and like you, you're just like wow okay that's gone in one ear and out the other hasn't it and i think liberty is kind of the definition of that in this film <laughs> Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect yeah. for Liberty. So um, after she's dispatched with all of the elites, uh, Crystal realises that Don has been his sort of right hand man has been like mysteriously absent for a while. And then she overhears on the radio, like the, the um, walkie talkie, I guess. Don, did you get her? And I was like, ooh, um, which puts doubt into Crystal's mind, which I think she was was already percolating, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, so she confronts him and Don sort of asserts that, you know, they're just, the, the radio, people on the radio are just messing with her head. Mm-hmm. But she takes no chances. Yeah. And she kills him. And I feel like she protects herself here and she she did what she had to do. What, like, what do you think about, the the death of Don. I I completely agree. I think she does what she has to do in the context of she just isn't sure. Like she's not 100% sure. And she has she's murdered people for what seems like less reason by this point in the film. So it's like no, you should just dispatch of him, just get rid of any doubt and just look after yourself. Um it is also interesting though that the the voice on the radio who you find out to be Athena who is mm-hmm. like the 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 head of this whole operation um no one in the bunker when they've been speaking to her before presses any buttons to like turn the microphone on so you would assume that Athena has heard everything that's happened in this bunker which then put doubt in my mind because I was like oh I think Don was actually just a bloke that was in this situation I actually (laughs) think Crystal might have been wrong in that I think she might have actually just killed a guy I mean fair enough he is very sexist he seems quite offensive with his opinions so like I said she's killed people for less off you go Don bye (laughs) like I have no I have no qualms with him being dead but I did kind of go oh no I think Athena has 
just played this situation very, very smartly against yeah. Crystal and gone, oh, I'm going to make her be on her own. So it's just a one-to-one at the end, like me versus her, no, no other perspective, no other people getting involved. Because as, I mean, as we later learn, she is Snowball. She is the one that Athena wanted to kind of go after specifically. Yeah. Um, yeah. But how, how what, what do you think? Do you think Don was... I, I don't want to use the word innocent because no one in this film He's is innocent. innocent. There, no. <laughs> time's up, Tom. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really felt conflicted. I, I sort of switched from one to the other. But like you say, ultimately, I think I was left with the sense that perhaps he he was not, not you know, not culpable in terms of he wasn't a hunter. Yeah, he was, but, I think... It doesn't invalidate what Crystal did for me. It's like no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad we're on the same page there because I've spoken to a couple of people before and they've gone. No, I think Don was in on it. I'm like, I don't think he was. <laughs> like, here's the evidence, and people are like, no, 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 no. I think, I think they were trying to be smart about it. I'm like, no. So after Don's uh, death, Crystal, as she says to herself, she could go home now. You know, she's free to go. But instead, she decides that she's going to take on the voice on the radio, which is Athena. Mm-hmm. Um, despite being told earlier by one of the other elites, you know, you don't know, you've got no idea what you're up against. Well, you know, really, Athena also has no idea what she is up against. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, and we hear that we get a bit of background on Crystal Um you know, we learn that she fought in Afghanistan and that she works in a car rental place. And this moment really touched me because it made me, you know, she says, she makes a remark, doesn't she, about she's got nowhere to put that. It's like she's got nowhere to put what she's been through, her emotions. And it's like this idea that she's she's been in the military and then as so many people wrongly are, just discarded and now at this car rental place and just where that puts a person emotionally. Yeah, I think the the whole subject of PTSD from being in the armed forces and not having anywhere to kind of exert that energy that you may get from your past experiences. I mean, bless her, that moment where she says um, that she kind of feels like and then her eyes go really intense and she makes that like humming noise again. That's the only way she can really vocalise how she feels. And it's because her energy and her feelings are so intense inside her she can't even find words to explain that all she really knows now is how to kill people and obviously working in a car rental not really going to get the uh, opportunity to kill people very often I mean you might get a really bad customer who you want to smash boss. yeah or a bad boss <laughs> who you want to like smash their head on the table and be like shut up but I mean, you'd get arrested. Like it's 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 almost like the dis- difference between being in that environment, being in that war zone, and then going back to the real world and just not knowing what to do with yourself. Yeah, not knowing how to function. And exactly. Yeah, yeah. So she gets to Athena's house, um, and we get what I what I like to call like almost like a Kill Bill. <laughs> it's like the opening of Kill Bill um, moments but first there's there's actually there's a lot of back before we get into the sort of 
you know the, the combat shall we say there's a lot of backwards and forwards uh, with dialogue that's very interesting and revealing um so Athena I find to be so Athena we should say is played by um Natalie Portman um and um so oh it's no? it's it's Hilary Swank Hilary Swank, <laughs> Hilary Swank. Don't, don't make assumptions um <laughs> Yeah, Hilary Swank, um, who makes comments about like who, which devalue and it, very judgmental comments, you know, about Crystal belonging to an ignorant and uneducated class. You know, yeah. she says, doesn't she? We, you fail, we pay. Yeah, like it's 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 almost like putting the blame on everyone who is in that assumed socio socioeconomic class that everyone's going to react the same, everyone's going to have the same actions, they're always the ones that mess things up, which isn't the case at all. Like, in real, in the real world, you shouldn't be judging anyone by their socioeconomic class, you should be judging someone by their individual actions as a person, and that's only if, like, you really know that person as well. You shouldn't just have, like, a, a snippet of their life and then go, oh, well, you're a terrible person because you did this thing once. It's just, yeah, it's really not fair for her to make these assumptions. No, and it, it it just speaks to those like class prejudices that are inherent and, you know, this idea that, you know, there's a pyramid and, you know, working class people belong at the bottom and, Ugh. you know, everybody else has to, 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 to pay for, you know, their lack of what they bring to society, which is just vile. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she also mocks her grammar and you can see Crystal's holding it together, but uh, you can also see that it is touching her. It is getting to her, you know. Yeah. And personally, I'm so full of rage at this moment that I can't wait for Crystal to sock her one. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, can't wait. I also think it's, it's, this is a very interesting point in the film because this is... I mean, you get a few moments from the other women in the film, but this is the first moment that you see another woman being truly cruel. And it shows that the cruelty in the characters in this film isn't just reserved for the men, which we've seen yeah. much, much evidence of throughout the rest of the movie. Um, I think the fact that she is being so biased and so unfair and the assumptions being thrown around, just like like completely casual. Like she, she says them as if it's like no big deal. And like... Yeah that like it's just her opinion um but then also goes back to saying that everything that she's done was done because it was a joke and it's like well no it like your initial unconscious bias was at least there to begin with you're not just doing yeah. this as a big joke this isn't like a comedy skit you're doing or something this is murdering people <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and then we, we we find out that Athena believes that she's targeted one woman will in actual fact may have targeted the wrong person yeah um which brings me back around to that point I was making at the top of the podcast about you know not caring about the truth it's like for the elites to come up from this position of the conspiracy theories being put out there being untruthful like this moment just demonstrates that they also don't really care about the truth as long yeah. as they get to exercise this real disgust and prejudice that they have. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on like that moment and and the interaction that takes place after that? I think so. The fact that Athena 
so Athena has made crystal her snowball, like I mentioned earlier, and it's it's, it's a mention of um, Animal Farm, which is like with why why we're talking about Orwell and stuff kind of every now and then. Um, and the fact that she is so honed in and focused on getting her snowball, she doesn't care that Crystal isn't potentially Justice for Y'all, which is the, the tag of the, the name of the person that started talking crap about Athena basically online. Um, I think even, even once Crystal is like, oh no, my, my name is Crystal May Creasy with a Y, you want Crystal May Creasy with an E, like in May, um, it's, I, I don't, I, I'm quite undecided whether it's Athena's outright just refusal that she would ever get anything wrong that, that, that troubles me the most, or whether it's the fact that if she does acknowledge she, she's wrong, she just doesn't care by this point. Yeah, because she, yeah, because she has made her assumptions about this class of people and this group of people that she, I mean, she she calls them all sorts. She's she, deplorables. And, yeah, and yeah. like at one point she calls them like gun clutching homophobes, uh, academically challenged racists, uh, tooth deprived bigots. Like she 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 is making assumptions left, right, and centre by this point. And yeah, I just I I think there are so many assumptions by the way that Crystal, our Crystal, speaks and holds herself and represents herself that Athena's like, no, I can't have got that wrong. Like you're definitely the right one because you have a Mississippi accent, you work in a car rental place, you dress in this certain way. So all of these assumptions have just kind of wound in. Yeah. yeah, they've all collided into just being like, you have to be my person. And if you're not, I don't care because you're representation of the person I was against anyway. So screw it. Yeah, it's like you fit my narrative um, and the, the truth doesn't really come for anything. Yeah, exactly. So the, let's talk about the the so a a struggle ensues and things get violent um and then we learn how to make the best grilled cheese sandwich. Oh yeah, <laughs> with Gruyere cheese instead of cheddar. <laughs> I was like, oh, and then and then she starts talking about tomatoes. When Athena is like, oh, and no one seems to know that you should cut tomatoes with your bread knife. I'm like, oh, shut up. <laughs> I'm like, you are so entitled. Stop talking. You're going down. Yeah, going down. By that <laughs> point, I was by that point, I was just shoving popcorn in my mouth, being like, go on, get a crystal, just go get her. <laughs> but all this like I think it helps get you to that final moment of catharsis doesn't it yeah um so Crystal eventually does defeat Athena and she's lying on the floor and then we see like a rabbit at the the doorway which is quite a nice touch yeah goes that earlier story and that maybe Crystal's been channeling that rabbit energy as well which is nice yeah but then let's talk about the ending and how this makes us feel so yeah so so talk me through the ending so once crystal has killed athena mm-hmm. what what happens after that so after that um i mean crystal also has incredibly bad injuries at this point and in my brain i was like oh she's a goner she's dead but what she actually does is she gets up off the floor eats the cheese toasty that athena has made um, she showers, she redresses herself. Oh, she um, cauterizes the wound as well on her, which I was like, 
like that out of anything in this film that is what freaked me out I'm, I'm, I'm good with gore I'm good with horror but burning of flesh I'm always a bit like <laughs> it, it gives me it gives me the like the bad feelings it's not it's not good um and yeah she dresses herself she takes Athena's dog and then walks out and boards the helicopter that the elitists are supposed to be taking home oh sorry the plane um and obviously the pilot and the air hostess, who, by the way, we saw being treated horribly at the beginning of this yeah. film by the elitists. So, you know, I, I already have annoying opinions about that because I just, ugh. Um, So she, she boards the plane, basically tells them that everyone else is dead. Do they have a problem with her being taken home because she murdered everyone? And they're obviously terrified and they're like, nope, no problem. Okay, get on the plane. And then she invites the air hostess to sit down and eat caviar and drink champagne with her. And it's, uh, it's, it's like we, she goes back to being the Crystal May that we see interacting with people without kind of the presumed elitism, I think. So she, she's back with what she would regard as normal people. <laughs> and she just makes friends with this air hostess and is like, go on, like, have, 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 some, have some caviar. Like, how does it taste? How are you? <laughs> um, and yes, yeah, it, it is like the the ultimate triumph. She's she's off. She's free. She's going home, and everyone who had screwed her over is dead and gone. Yeah, I think it's um, it's an uplifting moment for Crystal because, as you say, it's you know she's she's now free. I mean, she hasn't got an attack anymore. Uh, there is a sense of like her feeling like quite liberated and. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love how she she owns it and like she just walks onto that plane and yeah but and and part of me actually was to be to be honest I was a bit on guard with it because I was like so she's wearing the dress of uh, Athena and now she's got the champagne it's like a little part of me was like is she assimilating the life of the people that she hates yeah you know but then I was like she deserves good things too and also I think it's neutralized through that uh, interaction with the flight attendant where as you say like because we've had that earlier scene where we've seen her mistreated Crystal although she might wear the the costume of the elite it's like and drink the drink it's like essentially as a person she's just miles apart from that fundamentally and yeah. it's a real coming together moment, isn't it? And you know, I like how she swigs out the bottle as well. It's like, oh, <laughs> like if if I was given a proper classy bottle of champagne, the power move to swig out the bottle would be so tempting. Just because, like, yeah, she 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 is still the definition of middle ground America at this point. She, like you said, she may wear the clothes, she may have the plane now, but she she's still down to earth. She's still going to talk to them yeah. like they're people because she doesn't think of herself as any higher than anyone else. She is just a person and they are also just people. So I think it's, I, I think the the overall ending of the film is not particularly, I wouldn't say specifically uplifting, but I think it's quite kind of revealing about where she stands in society still. So it's it's like amazing for her. She's made it, she's survived, but it's not gonna change who she is. She is still Crystal. 
Yeah, exactly. And I was thinking about how do we counterbalance that notion of a good for her moment with how she's going to realistically deal with what's happened to her once she does get home. Yeah, I think I think the I always find it interesting when films end at this kind of point, because sometimes the credits roll and you go, but, but what's next? Like yeah. what's going to happen? It's, it's the same with um, oh, what's the film? Ready or not? Um, yeah. At the end of that, when the girls sat on the on the stairs of the burning building, and the police come, and you're like, "Well, what's going to happen to her now? Like, where's she going to go from this? Like, yeah. like everyone else is dead, <laughs> <laughs> and like it is the same with Crystal. Like, she's just murdered everyone. <laughs> where is she going to go? Is she going to go back to her car rental company? Is she just going to carry on living her life, or is she going to take this as a sign of, no, 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 I need to go and address the issues that I've had." I need to go and kind of find more of a reason or more of a technique, I guess, to get rid of this energy that she's just realised is still within her. Yeah. Oh, I love that for Crystal. I hope that's what happens. I do. I think in, in, in my little in my little post-credit narrative in my brain, that's what happens. She goes, she goes to therapy because therapy is good for everyone. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. And horror is therapy for us. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So gosh, we've we've talked about so many different aspects before we sort of finally wrap it up. Was there anything that we have uncovered that you wanted to touch on? Um I think I think using Crystal as a representative of this Middle America thing, I kind of just want to go back to that very quickly, just because of course, yeah. She she is the faceless America that's been given a face, which I think is a really important aspect of this film. In terms of good for her, it makes sense that this faceless American would be given a face of a woman because people make assumptions about women in their unconscious bias regardless of whether they think they're doing it or not and the same goes in this film for your geographic location your socioeconomic class like your I mean uh, there's there's examples of it with race as well within this film which we haven't touched upon but I, I just I just think overall you hear something about another person another type of person um or you witness behavior from one example of one say like group of people um and that can really put an effect on how you then feel about the rest of that group yeah and I think that Crystal just being the complete middle ground of everything in this but also being an absolute badass and murdering everyone um (laughs) is kind of a great example of what the film is trying to represent in terms of you really shouldn't make assumptions you really shouldn't read that fake news you shouldn't read up one fact from one news outlet and go that's the truth that's real that's happening you need to do your research yeah yeah they could they could have used that as like the tagline for the film you need to do your research (laughs) the hunt do your damn research Which, to be fair, I also feel like Trump should have before he put out the, t- well, the tweet yeah, that, yeah. that he made. The irony. Uh, the uh, irony. <laughs> how, how, about, how about you, Rebecca? Do you have any last thoughts? I just feel... I feel like this discussion has definitely helped me make sense of, of a lot of things that I felt foggy on. And I, I really love that... that comment about Crystal being the faceless America... That's really interesting because 
I think particularly we run a risk now of like you're this or you're that you know you're x or you're y and it's like we live in a society of extremes yeah and a lot of that's perpetuated by the media um so I think as you say maybe if there's one lesson from this film then maybe it's like yeah step back and don't make assumptions yeah step back reassess make sure that you are going by firstly by every fact that you can read that is backed up by further sources and (laughs) always give people a chance as well like that I, I think I think that's such a big takeaway from this really give people a chance because you never know someone's background someone's history doesn't always affect who they are as a person so um in wrapping up then uh i i'm sure everyone's really keen to know where they can find you iona on socials and what projects that you might be up to or what's what's on the horizon for you so do you want to share a bit about that Yeah, um, if anyone wants to find me, you can find me on pretty much any socials with uh, the tag fall underscore out underscore Iona because I am an (laughs) early 2000s emo kid at heart, even though I'm in my late 20s now and I definitely should be over it, but whatever, I love it. Don't don't ever, don't ever get over it. Oh, no, no, no. Like my emo side is going to live with me forever. Um, (laughs) I also, you can also find me on Ghouls Magazine. Uh, I, I write reviews. I do little think pieces every now and then. I've done some lists, so... You'll always find me there. Um, and I'm also just about to start my master's degree. So hopefully after that, you'll see some academia coming out with me, fingers crossed. That's that's the plan. That's the aim. So if anyone Can't wait for that. Oh, if, if put put it this way, if anyone wants to listen to my absolute ramblings of my brain, that is what my academia is gonna be. <laughs> Sign me up. Sign me up. I'll be first on the queue. Oh bless you. Um, how about you, Rebecca? Where where can people find you? Um, so people can find me at Pendle Pumpkin on Twitter and Instagram. I have recently released a zine called Mums and Sons, which explores- It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Mums and Sons explores familial relationships in Psycho, the Babadook and Hereditary, and is available via Plastic Brain Press. So you can get them on socials at Brain Plastic. Or you can also pick up a copy via the link tree in my socials. Um, just a quick plug for a ongoing series I have on the Women of Hitchcock's films with Moving Pictures Film Club. Um, I'm providing a female voice there on the works of Hitchcock that focuses on female characters, which is something that I think is really important because there's way too many male voices dominating that area of criticism. Okay. <laughs> And I'm also currently editing the second volume of Hear a Scream, a horror anthology. So stay tuned for more news about that on socials. And don't forget, check out ghoulsmagazine.com for the latest editorials, reviews and podcasts. And lastly, a huge thank you goes to the ever fabulous Anatomy of a Scream for hosting this series and for allowing me and Iona to contribute. Thanks very much for joining us. Take care. The Anatomy of a Scream, Pod Squad.